This is Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast for you, the entrepreneur, to learn valuable lessons from the experiences of fellow business owners sharing the secrets of their success and the critical lessons they have learned along the way, as well as experts giving their advice on how to navigate the pitfalls in their industry to help you better run your business. Here's your host, Brian Harding. Hey now, and good day. Thanks for stopping by to check out our first audio-only episode. Super happy to have CPA Sean Mattingly with me today. She's, in fact, my CPA and our company's CPA, so welcome, Sean. Thank you, Brian. Uh, before we get too far in, I uh, just want to do a quick shout-out for Kyle Schimmel and Angie Witten for helping me out with a new intro. And uh, I'll let the people listening know, um, forgive me if I make any engineering efforts or er errors. This is the first time I'm recording this on my own, with my own equipment and all that good stuff. I'm certainly going to make a mistake at some point. I'm not sure when. And uh, the room we're rec recording in now is not going to be our, temp our, our permanent home. It's kind of a temporary thing for this one week. So there is a bit of an echo, but uh, we'll do the best we can to get through that. And I uh, just want to remind you, don't be afraid to tell a friend or associate. Um, if you heard our podcast, uh, subscribe, share, rate, and review, all that good stuff. And I'll remind folks they can find my contact information at growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. And now let's get to Ms. Sean Mattingly, CPA. Uh, she is the president and CEO of Wine & Associates. And for those of you who don't know Sean, which many of you don't, um, she was born and raised in Olympia, Washington. Her first job out of high school was in banking as a teller. While working full-time as a teller, she started her college education to fulfill her lifelong dream of being an accountant. Really? That was your lifelong dream? Yes, it was, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, she continued to work and attend college even while living in Italy for three years. And she was distracted for a few years while she started a family. And in 1998, she graduated from Central Washington University. Uh, she started her career at Wine & Associates CPAs just in time for the 1998 tax season and became a shareholder of the company in January 2005. In 2017, she became president and CEO of One and Associate CPAs. Sean's main focus is on, in accounting and taxation and in building lasting relationships and business on, with business owners and individuals. Occasionally, Sean is a guest speaker for organizations such as the Accounting and Financial Women's Alliance, Washington State Society of CPAs, Washington Association of Accounting and Tax Professionals, the Automotive Service Association, and the National Association of Real Estate Property or Real Property Managers. Uh, when she's not in the office working, you can find Sean performing at local fairs and events as a belly dancer. So who says accountants can't have fun, right? <laughs> Very true. Right. <laughs> um, and her firm, uh, Wine & Associates CPAs, um, was originally founded in 1968 by Marion Argo. Two of the CPAs in the firm today have been with, uh, uh, with them since the time of Ms. Argo. And in 1994, the firm became Wine & Associates CPAs. And for 50 years, Wine & Associates has served as a trusted business partner to clients throughout the Puget Sound area. And their focus is on advising and giving business owners of closely held professions and individuals to establish and grow a successful business by providing accounting, tax planning, and preparation, management advisory and business planning services, and their mission is to provide tax and accounting services um, and technology, all that good stuff, uh, for people who need personalized attention and prompt professional results. Right? Yes. Okay, cool. So if you need to get a hold of a good CPA, you can reach Sean at 253-584-7966. And you take care of clients all through Washington State, right? Yes. Yeah, I have some clients in other states. Right. So you're now a business owner and you're now the principal owner, right? Yes. Of the firm. So mm -hmm. congratulations on that. Yay. And so, um, and for folks listening, uh, Sean is, like I said, my CPA and she knows our business really well. And uh, 
Um, I trust her implicitly. And uh, again, if you're looking for a good CPA, I'd recommend her. But um, start, take us through your career. So you've, you've had some, you own a business. Yes. So not only are we going to talk a little bit of tax stuff, we're also going to talk about your experience as a business owner and yeah. things you've done well and things you wish you hadn't done and all that good stuff. So yep. <laughs> there's some of that. Um, well, like my little bio says, I really did want to be an accountant. Um, when I was a kid, my mom was a bookkeeper and she'd bring work at home and there would be these green ledger sheets and she has very beautiful handwriting. You've met my mom. She's mm-hmm. a beautiful lady. Yep. About a hundred pounds. Right. <clears throat> I didn't get that. Um, <laughs> And she was writing these numbers in columns, and she would explain to me what she's doing, and I was just fascinated with it. And I just, you know, people like, you must be good at math. I'm like, no, I am, but that's not the focus. It was the orderly part of it, and I just liked it. Liked It, it sounded interesting. And so, yeah, it took me a while, but I eventually made it. That's what I wanted to do, and I don't know if I necessarily wanted to end up in public accounting. I, You know, when you're young, you're like, I just want to be an accountant. I want to be a CPA. What does that mean? Well, can do mean a lot of things. Some right. people work in public accounting. Some people don't. Some people work in industry, and they're controllers for large companies, or they're working in accounts receivable or accounts payable. Lots of ways to serve, or in IT services, you there's a lot of accounting involved. In right. That. So take us, uh, talk to us about your own business. So you, you so my you, business, you've had some successes in your yes. career, and you've had yeah. some not yeah. so much. So so give us some of the, the wins. What are some, some of the, of the successes wins. you've had? Well, a couple of things I think. What I was trained when I started the, our firm in 1998, I was just right out of college. I was a little bit older. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't in 22, but I was a little bit older. And um, Jim Winant, who is still my business partner and very active in our firm, he started coaching me right away about this is what we do. We take care of clients. We do what's right for them. Yes, we're in business to make money. Everyone is. But we take their interests first and we have to, we have a responsibility. We have right. ethics we have to st- uh, adhere to. And when we're working with our business clients specifically, and of course, in individuals, we take care of them, take care of them as well, whether they're approaching retirement, or they have investment properties or things. But since we're focusing on business here for our business clients, we really want to take care of them and make sure we're taking care of their business and teaching them to run a business. Many business owners end up starting a business because they have, a skill and they don't want to work for somebody else or they, they've fallen into it. They decided and they're like, I know how to make widgets. Great. And they're perfect at making widgets or being a, an attorney or being a plumber or whatever, but they're terrible at running a business because they never ran a business. Right. And, and they don't of, learn that stuff. one of the things you mentioned was helping your clients be bankable. Bankable. That's a huge deal. And at first I didn't understand what Jim meant when I was like, what do you mean bankable? I'm just an accountant. I'm supposed to put numbers in place. He's like, no, you have to look at this stuff. They have to make money. They have to have a profits. They have to reserve capital for reinvesting in their business. And they have to make, if there's tax due, they have to pay that. Because if somebody wants, if they're going to borrow money from a bank, that lender is going to go, are you able to pay me back? Right. How long have you been in business? So, are you successful? So some folks um, say frequently they start out in business. I, I'm not going to borrow money. Or I'm just going to pay everything cash or I'm just going to reinvest in the company and all that kind of stuff. What would you tell them about why being bankable is important, even if you're not going to borrow money on year one, two, three, four, whatever? Well, being bankable is important because eventually you will need to borrow money. If You can only use cash so much at the beginning. It makes sense. You want to go in a lot of debt. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Sometimes we have to use debt for specific reasons, and it's good to use debt. We, it's called leverage. 
we buy a vehicle so we can put a plumber in the vehicle and it can it the person can make us money every month after right. all their costs and things that's our job and so we don't want to be debt so debt adverse that it it keeps us from growing we also don't want to be too heavy in debt because bankers also look at that or lenders will go, oh, your debt ratio is too high. So there's a delicate balance. And so it's prudent to use cash flow when necessary, preserve it when necessary for reinvestment, and then decide not to use your own money sometimes so that you can preserve it for other types of investment in your business and you can manage the debt service and continue to save working capital and pay your overhead and all those things. So the bankable pieces, the banker can see, and we all can see that there's positive cash flow, that we're able to pay our bills, and then we have more left over. Right. That's what everybody wants at the end of the, their paycheck. And if you're going to sell your business one day, the person well, you're selling to might need to borrow money, and the business has to be bankable to finance that. Yeah, so that's the other thing that in the short term, a lot of newer business owners look at just you know trying to make it through the first year, the second year, Sometimes we don't think about the long road, that succession planning. You're building something that you can sell eventually. Not every business can be sold because some of it's like strictly personal services and you can't sell yourself. You can, it's probably illegal usually, but it happens. <laughs> right. But we're not in that kind of business. Right. <clears throat> Although it's a really old business. Yes, I've heard. But um, I, I don't do that. Just so people so, out there. So being bankable is one of the things that you, you and a good CPA should help their clients focus yes. on is being bankable. Even if you're not going to borrow money, yes. it's still good big business practice to be showing enough profit to be able to borrow money if you wanted to, yeah. if you had an emergency, if you wanted to bring on a partner, if you wanted to sell, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. For selling and everybody, you know, most people buy a house or the, a car, even if it's not for lending for your business, you have to be able to buy something. Right. I mean, most of the time. So yes, bankable is bankability is key. Right. So another thing that you're very well known for is uh, uh, your relationships throughout the community um, networking has been a big part of what you has brought you success. And in fact, um, indirectly you introduced me to my wife, you introduced me <laughs> to somebody who introduced me to my wife and, and, uh, so networking is a good dating service, I guess as well. And you met your husband through I networking. Did. Yes. It's really guys. It's a dating service. It's right. not networking. Oh, that's a lie. Right. But you know, you run into people, maybe like-minded people networking and you're seeing people as they show up in public and sure. not so, so we're not we're, we're, yeah we're, we're not looking to, to hook people up here but networking has been important <laughs> to you and your success mm -hmm. and uh tell, tell us about that so you, you started out you're kind of a wallflower you weren't you weren't super outgoing no un, unlike now um <laughs> but you were you were a little right. shy when you yes, started out I'm, and you were kind of thrust into this thing your boss right. said you're going to this thing now and mm -hmm. yep jim said and um i've been I've been in the firm a couple of years and he's like, you know what? You're going to become an ambassador with the Lakewood Chamber of Commerce. I'm like, huh? What's the Chamber of Commerce and what's an ambassador? Well, you get to go to meetings and talk to people. I'm like, talk to people about what? Business. Um, I don't know how to talk to people. Oh, you'll get used to it. You'll learn. And one's like, okay. Right. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun though. You know, we would do events like we'd have a bowling tournament or, or there would be, you know, alcohol events or socializing a network and exchanging business cards and finding out what people do. And so I did learn, I had to learn how to do it. I really didn't have a clue. Um, but I soon found out and learned and I met great people and I learned to meet, listen, listening to what people say and engage with people, asking them the right questions about 
if it's business related, their business, or if they, you know, you might move on to family issues. Well, what do you like about your business? Or what, what do you do that I might not know that your business does? Because if I think of a plumber, I'm like, oh, you just do this. And we're like, no, we do other things. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. So, so those relationships have really worked out for you and yes. you find most of your clients now through that. You- yeah. We do very little traditional like advertising at all. Um, and I, yeah, I, that's how clients come to us by referral. And what we do for people or and business owners is really personal. I mean, it's personal. Right. People are funny when it comes to money and taxes. Right. I've, I've said on this podcast before, it's much like going to the doctor and having to get naked. Yep. It's one yeah. thing to go to somebody and say, I got a scratch on my arm and please give me some stitches. It's a whole other thing to get a full on physical. And that's what going into a talk to a CPA or a banker or sometimes a lawyer. It, those are all very intimate things you're getting involved in. It, it is. And, and those and knowing people. Now, people, I always say, this is a people business. Oh, you must like numbers. Yes. It's a people business. Learning to understand people and navigate people and try to determine personality styles or how they like to receive information or what's going on in their life. And I do ask those kind of intensely personal questions, but you know, my goal in networking was to make connections like, Oh, I met this banker or, Oh, I met this insurance agent or oh, I met somebody that this business owner may need. So I can take that relationship that I've made with bankers or insurance people. And I can walk with the client to the bank and say, Hey, this is my lender that I recommend lender. This is my best client. You need to take care of them. And I can make that formal introduction. As a matter of fact, we've done that numerous times. Just walked right into the bank with the clients. I need you to introduce you to these people because they need your help. And people build relationships with their bankers. So introductions. Right. And, and you were the one that actually got me and our company into networking. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I learned from you uh, very early on was it was it's great to be a resource to find resources. And yes. it took me a couple years to um, become that. And then once I, once I did, though, I really saw the benefit. And what I mean by that for folks listening is I get calls, um, I don't know, 10 times a week probably, or texts or emails or something, people asking me, hey, do you know somebody that dot, dot, dot. And so what that has done for me is now I'm kind of top of mind awareness for all of their needs that have nothing to do with plumbing, have nothing to do with anything that I do. And, but I'm always the person that they think, or many times I'm the person that they think of to, to find another resource, which means that the benefit for me is I'm always on their mind kind of. And so if they ever have a need, a need that I can help with, of course, I'm going to be the one to call. They're not going to th- call me for all these referrals and call somebody else to help them with their problem that I can help right. them with. Right. Yes. I'd like to be that resource for people, for my clients. Well, who do you know that does this? And I tell them, don't just look in the phone book. Okay. I'm old. Um, don't look on social media. Don't look on Google to find that plumber. Call me. I have plumbers. Don't call anybody else. I mean, I, I tell clients every service, whatever you need, I probably know somebody. So please ask me first. Right. And so it, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And it could significantly grow your business. Um, if, if that's, if it's a personalized thing and, and, I have to say, Brian, yes, if I taught you anything, I think you've um, surpassed the teacher. <laughs> you're 10 times better at it than me. Oh, now. well, thank you very much. So you're involved so in a lot of associations. Oh, thank you. You're, so, you're involved in a lot of associations. You do a lot of stuff um, for the community. Um, and you kind of chalked it up as one of your successes or wins. Why, why is giving back to all these things, why is that so important to you? Why do you call that a win? I call that a win. Yeah. <laughs> 
because you have to give back. Well, you don't have to. I guess it's a choice because to the business community first, to give back to the business community by I volunteered at the Lakewood Chamber of Commerce. So I learned and I saw and I talked to businesses and I saw people have successes and I saw people struggle and fail in, in that environment too. And the recession was bad. And, you know, you just grow such a love for folks to want to help them. And how can I give back to the business community? Well, I volunteer at the Lakewood Chamber of Commerce and, and other things. And I do, um, I got asked to speak at... Um, so a CPI meant years, years ago, did a lot of national public speaking, and he sort of mentored me to say, you know, you can do this. And then I met somebody that became a client, and they said, hey, I'm a part of this association. Um, we could use you as a speaker. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And so he's like, you can do this. And my CPA friend kind of coached me, and I wrote an outline, and I did that. And I was like, wow. And then I got a bunch of clients from it. I was like, holy cow, well, that was easy. It was really scary up in front of like two, it was, it was a, bar convention and attorneys okay they're kind of egotistical a little bit um not all of you not all of you and I was afraid but giving back to that community you know I got something back from it but it was just I wanted to grow I wanted to be able to do this because I thought I have an expertise I can talk to people about this stuff so I wanted to share that and so from that came other associations that asked me to talk CPA and accounting and finance associations asked me and I'm like hello I'm just a little pokey girl in Lakewood. Right. But, you know, it makes you a really good CPA to be teaching to other professionals in my industry and then business owners as well, because I can share stuff and I think I can communicate in a, in a manner that isn't like super high and lofty techno tax talk that it blows. I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about. Try to take it. So, so the business owners can understand. And then because I had accounting associations ask, associations ask me to speak. I'm like, well, I need to give back to associations. So I joined an accounting association at the chapter level and kind of got roped into a leadership role there. And I'm like, I don't know how that happens. Show up. And eventually I'll be the and the president a year from now and of our state, one of the state accounting associations. Right. It's kind of a big deal, a bunch of nonprofits, yeah. um, a little scary. But I can give back to the industry because if I don't, make sure our, our membership organization is operating well. We're cranking, we're maintaining and growing, developing tax professionals and the CPAs and accountants. And, you know, who's going to replace me, right? right. <laughs> so it's self-serving in one way. Sure it is. And, and also you mentioned in those leadership roles, you or you learn leadership skills because you're, did. you're, you're um, gently coercing volunteers <laughs> to take on more work when everybody's already really busy and nobody has any time. Yes. And you're you're in charge of, you know, in these leadership roles, you're in charge of getting them to do more for free. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a bit like well, herding cats. Yeah. Or, yes. It, that, so there, that, so that, there, is some, there is some leadership skills that you can develop out of that also that... Mm -hmm. that um, mm -hmm. I've learned a lot more than I, you know, I, people, I've been to leadership retreats and you can take classes and pay lots of money to learn all this stuff. But really the hands-on stuff, learning to know when to speak up when you're like, this isn't right. I need to say something versus being like, I don't know what I'm doing on this board or in this situation. Learning to speak up, learning to shut up. Right. So that, that's a skill. Shut up, shutting shut up, up is a tough a skill, one. especially it, for me. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Sometimes. Um, we're a lot alike like that. Um, shutting up, learning to shut up, learning to listen and take people from different backgrounds and their perspective and their experiences and their opinions and being more open-minded to that right. taught me how to be, think outside of the box. Now I always say creative accountants end up in jail. So I'm, I'm not creative. <laughs> 
right. want to go to jail. Not right. like that creative. Right. But you do have to think outside of the box sometimes you're in a situation like, well, why am I on this board? I don't even know how to do this stuff. Marketing. What do I know about marketing? And so you think outside the box. So I've learned all those things and you have to think on your feet, man. Right. <laughs> they don't give you a little handbook. Here's your handbook for being a board member in a leadership role. Well, there was a book like that, but I never got that book till I've been doing this stuff for 10 years. I'm like, there's a book. This would have been useful. Right. Never knew there was a book. Right. So <laughs> it's helped a lot. I really, it does take a lot of time away from working with billable working, hours. Bill, yeah. Yes. The fact is, yes, it takes away from billable hours, but thankfully I have fabulous employees who um, don't spend as much time doing that, but it really helps me develop and become more mature and it's a better advisor. Right. And the, the other thing is, you know, with, with getting involved in associations, things like that is um, you're not the CPA for everybody. Absolutely, and yeah, you not. will find other CPAs who are a good fit for your, for people. Yes, and when you can refer those people, then you get reciprocal relationships with other CPAs who can refer you clients that they can't handle or or a different niche that they don't want to work with or whatever. Absolutely, um, there's great camaraderie with that. Like I said, you're teaching people, making sure you're you're all all of your standards are high and things like that in different industries. Um, but again, you know, people get you know what's in it for me kind of a thing. Sure. And like you said, it, it ultimately it is self-serving because you, you do get a lot out of it. I, I get a lot out of it. I mean, I'm a part of a bunch of associations and we, I volunteer a lot and I do things at home that, you know, when other folks are watching TV or right. whatever, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm working on projects and things like that at home. But um, again, it, it's just more, more involved, more top of mind awareness equals right. more customers equals more money. Yeah. And <laughs> it's really, you know, it's self-serving, not just from a business perspective, from a maturity and growth perspective, because we can't be stagnant. Right. We, sh we should always be learning something and developing. It helps you even develop your, in your personal relationships. You learn how to handle conflict a little bit better when you have employees, you're on a board and people have a different opinion. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It, you it, know, that's, that's a great <laughs> point. When you have you to when be it, nicer to your spouse, <laughs> when you have employees, your default wiring for a lot of us is to just bark orders and, and right. order. And after some time of serving on some of these boards and different leadership positions, you kind of figure out that you can motivate folks another way and mm -hmm. saying please goes a long way. And Right. <laughs> and, and being really willing to do the hard work and, and lead, leading by example. Right. And there have been times when I'm like, I had to like, no one's taking charge. What do I do? What do I do? I'm like, oh, crap. I have to be the one. I don't want to be the one. I'm the one. Right. Okay. And you just sort of like, well, I can't let it fail. And then the flip <laughs> side of that is after a while you learn how to say no. Yes, I'm working on that. My therapist tells me. Yeah. That. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, earlier, um, always learning new things is beneficial. How, how does that translate to like technology and things like that? Well, I'm sure that for everyone, your business, for I mean, my business, yes, we have to stay on top of technology and on the tax side of things too. We're always, we have to continually take continue education just on the technical side of what we do, tax and accounting. And there's always things changing and tax laws change a lot. Um, but the technology piece, software changes frequently a different types of softwares accounting software that businesses use change and, and evolve over time we used to have like the quickbooks desktop which we still people use tons of that but now it's online and there's many other cloud-based accounting systems and right. you really have to know how are these things sort of wired what's the underlying programming what are they trying to do because not everybody uses the same stuff so we've always stayed on top of what clients are using in the field, how do the other softwares integrate, what problems does it encounter when it's trying to talk to the accounting system. And then we're always tons of software um, um, 
every year and computers and technology we're always buying we don't computers don't age very long in our office i gotta right. tell you that they're always like can we get faster we're bringing on board another 10 computers again and my one of my employees that's working with our it people are like can we get more ram right. they're, they're like um why do you need so much more because we were just so heavy into that. So um, we think that we try to stay on top. We went paperless, mostly paperless. Clients still bring us a lot of paper. Right. Um, but dragging some of those clients into the digital world. But we quit having paper files 12 years ago. Right. And one of the things with technology that folks probably don't think about when they're getting their own um, software for their own business is, you know, like uh, whether it's dispatching software or, you know, other kinds of um software that's kind of like these all-in-one packages you can buy uh, folks don't really think about accounting a whole lot no but if your accounting if your all-in-one software doesn't work for your cpa uh which you and i discovered together with a program yes. we used to use a million years ago <laughs> um it, it can cost you a lot of money because it takes your cpa billable hours to figure this stuff out so we it had sure this does. system that what was it called wintac or something like that oh yeah wintac oh, and it was it was thing it was always out of balance yeah it was always out of balance because it couldn't <laughs> figure out um in washington state we have state tax county tax city tax but some cities have eight different tax rates and different tax codes and it couldn't figure that out so it was always out of balance and it it costs us you know who knows how many thousands of dollars a year in your time and your team's time to yeah to sort through that and and manually override that stuff so i just you know for those listening when you're looking at buying these all in one software packages that are supposed to be you know plug and play kind of thing if you're a business make sure your cpa can understand what the heck yeah. is going on there and i have a one small perspective on that and um when it comes to that technology remember the people that are selling that they're sales people right they want to close and they're going to tell you whatever sounds good. Now then I usually say, well, let me talk to the sales guy. Okay. Or the sales gal. I want to know what, you know, I'll ask my questions because they're like, well, should we switch this? It's going to cost us a lot of money. And when you talk to the person, I'm like, okay. And I'm like, oh yeah, our accounting system's really great. And I'm like, mm hmm. Mm -hmm. right. That's a bunch of BS. And I know for a fact that, you know, there'll be a service provider or a software provider that integrates with something. And they're like, oh, yeah, it does everything perfectly. We it just integrates great with Washington State sales tax. I'm like, you lie. You right. lie, you lie, you lie. Right. And so I warn people, don't believe everything they tell you. Now, to those software sellers out there, I don't hate you. You're doing what you need to do, and you've got great systems. But we, we let's be honest. Sometimes they don't work as you promised they did. Right. And we need time to learn how to use it. And every system is similar but different. Right. And, uh, yeah, the setup, yeah. So, you, so you've had some good success in your career, um, but not everything's been all sunshine and roses. Take, tell us about some of the things that you look back on and, and uh, wish it. Wish, yeah, cringe. <laughs> Well, there's been some, um, believe it or not, accountants are not perfect and we're running a business too. Right. And what I have learned is that being in public accounting, working with people is a, is, you have to be a people person. You have, this is a people job. My job is about maintaining relationships. Yes. We do all that tax and accounting stuff. That's really, frankly, the easy part. Because mm -hmm. there's rules and structure. People don't have as much rules and structure in their personalities. And that segues into employees. Right. You know, you hire talented people, CPAs, because they have that skill set that we need to do the easy, the tax and accounting side. Well, we also have to serve the client. And it's a people business. Right. 
it's a people business. And people who are inherently good at numbers aren't inherently generally good at accountants people, are generally. certainly introvert. Not always. Now, there's some of you out there like me that learned not to be introverted, that are secretly introverted, but, you know, really there's not so crazy. But anyway, um, so yeah. So you hire folks and they've got to, they got to work with your customers. And, you know, one of the things I learned fairly early on as I was a leader and a shareholder in, in the firm is that, Hiring the wrong person and keeping them on too long. Right. I mean, uh, it's just, you got to know when to let them go. Right. And that's a hard lesson because if there's many reasons why you may not be able to keep an employee, maybe their technical skills weren't good enough or they had superior technical skills with taxes and accounting and they were spot on and they were efficient and profitable, but they were horrible at relationships. Yeah, they made people mad. They made people <laughs> mad. And I know that. So uh, you're one of my examples of when to ha- cut loose an employee. I had a very talented CPA that, you know, I thought, well, maybe she's got a career future as a leader in our firm, you know. Right. And and she was smart. Oh, my God, smart. Right. And so she went on site because you had that crappy accounting system at the right. time. But, you know, we, we got handled. We right. were smart. And you she comes back to yourself and you, you call me and you're like, yeah, no, do not send her back. She's horrible. Sean, what are you thinking? And I'm like, what? And then my, my husband, um, who I met in networking, but it's not a dating service. Remember, um, I had this uh, employee do go to a network meeting and that my husband was at and after the meeting and he'd been, he observed her a few weeks, right? you know, and he said, honey, I got to tell you, this is not going to work. Right. This is not, I've never, no, no. And, um, and it got to the point where it just the coworker relationship. She just wouldn't smile. I mean, it was terrible. She was so skilled, so skilled, just not her cup of tea to work with customers. Right. And so, um, she, why well, should left her let her go sooner? She left her own, and it was a relief. I was I didn't have enough testicle fortitude. Right. I guess I don't have those, but yeah. to cut it loose sooner, right. I sh- should have because it caused me a lot of anxiety, and I'm sure it wasn't comfortable for her. Yeah, and she needed to move on to something better, and she's very happy and she's successful. Right, but in a different role. Yeah, and I think that's the thing for folks to keep in mind is it's it's not any more pleasant for the person who's struggling than it is yeah. for the people around them. Yeah. Uh, but letting folks go feels like it feels like a bad thing, but in the end, it's they're going to be happier too. You yeah. Know, you're going to be happier. They're going to be happier. Yeah. And everybody's going to be happier. Having the right fit and and you know that mindset in my business, letting having people that want to take care of people. You have to be service hearted, service minded, because we're, I'm in a service business. Not everybody has to be service minded right. or hearted that way. That's okay. But in my business, I have to be that way. I have right. to care. I mean, right. I want to care. That's how I'm wired. But you know, I can hire people that aren't wired that way. But I better not let them talk to people. I can't put them in the field. Right. You know? So that's okay. It's okay to have folks. Yeah. That aren't and that's that's pretty that. common theme on the on for folks who've been on this uh, podcast before is is keeping folks too long. What what else have you learned along your um, illustrious career? Well, again, all accountants were pretty, or, you know, anal retentive about procedures and checklists. You know, we're always proud of this stuff. Well, we have a checklist for everything. And in fact, we do. We're really anal about that. We're like, oh, we follow procedures. These are the procedures. They're written and there's a checklist and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, uh, one of my failures is um, not having the right procedure in place to prevent a process failure. And so, you know, we take, we have information that's sensitive and we have, electronic filing going on and things like that. And you have to, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's. Well, we had procedures set in place and we had an employee that was 
following the procedures. And we, she had a couple of errors. We, she, we was coached and we said, these are procedures. You understand this is how you do it. And she had some other personal issues going on. She was a little distracted. She had young kids at home and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the afternoon would come and she'd lose focus. I, you know, but it she failed again, really big failure. And we had to terminate her the minute the, the day next day after it happened, we terminated her and it was sad. And she was a wonderful gal, real smart. We liked mm-hmm. her. She got along with everybody, but we had coached her and it, it just, I felt so horrible. I think I cried that day. It was so, so horrible for right. her. And she's happy now. Um, but it was so horrible. I felt bad. And then when I was kind of reviewing, gosh, what did I do? What could I have done better? And I realized that we were setting this process up for failure by a step that we didn't realize could have been prevented by not doing something. We were doing something too far in advance. So mm-hmm. can't be too specific about that. So the, the procedure was out of order. The procedure was out of order and we changed it. And we've never had this failure ever again. And I realized that if my employees fail at something, I better look at myself first. Right. Because I need to go, what did I miss? What, where did I fail? Where did I not, where's my shortcomings in the training or the process or the procedure or the policy what did I not teach right? Right. And so it brought that home to me. And just today, um, I had a bunch of appointments and we're hitting up to a busy season. September 15th is a due date for extended business returns. And um, I had a lot of appointments today. And one of my CPAs is like, Sean, why do you have all these new client appointments? We're busy. Why didn't they get pushed off? I said, well, it's my fault because I forgot to block my client, my calendar. And, you know, our admin staff, doesn't always, you know, they know the due dates, but they don't really, you know, and she's like, well, you should have made her move the appointments. I said, it's my fault. Yeah. I think that's one of the things for folks who have employees is when you have employees who are good people, they have a good intentions, they have a good heart and they have the skills and they're failing. You do have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, let me take the blinders off here. What's really going on? This, this can't just always all be them. Yeah. It's something we're doing. It's something we're setting them up for. And, and I think it's important for folks to really just take a moment and, and go through that. And what, what is, what is, what is leading to this? It, it you know, yeah. people don't want to fail. People want to do a good job. Uh, but mostly, I mean, if you have somebody who, who doesn't care, then obviously you need to move, yeah. them, move them along and find somebody else. But if you have somebody who's not like that and, and, um, you know, they're still struggling. I think it is critical to take a look at those procedures and see what's going on. So let's talk about money. So every, every, um, everybody likes to talk about money and taxes <laughs> and, um, uh, we'll try to breeze through the, the, when we get to the tax part here in a little bit, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll kind of hit the highlights there. Cause I'm, I know taxes and, and, uh, accounting is not the most exciting topic, but accountants have fees. Yes, we do. And, um, you mentioned that in the last recession that, you know, like everybody, everybody's paranoid about fees and how much we're charging. And, and, uh, um, tell us about that. What don't tell everybody what, what you and I have kind of briefly talked about previous right. to this. And so everyone knows a recession hit horrible mm-hmm. and small businesses were struggling. And one of our prime directives, like I mentioned, is we take care of the clients. What's in the best interest of the clients. We take that very, very seriously. That is our prime directive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're thinking, okay, you know, we usually raise fees a little bit every year because costs go up and things. And so we're like, okay, the economy's bad. We see some of our clients struggling. Let's not raise our fees um, right now during this time. And so 
the, it went on for three years, three like tax seasons, I guess, right. three, three cycles. We didn't raise our fees. But during that time, of course, I gave my fabulous staff their pay raises. Our IT um, costs went up. Our software costs, those people have us over a barrel. Right. Those, all those costs increased. Nothing went down for us except our revenue. Now, we're accountants, so it's not like it was – we didn't have any cash flow and that we were underwater, right. but we noticed, you know, we're like, Oh, it affected us in a way that we finally realized that it was dumb of us to do that. Even though we're trying to help the clients. Right. Um, you're not helping your was, clients. It, you're out of business. Well, right. I wasn't <laughs> going to go out of business for accounts are we're really any anal tech tend of about working capital. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so we're, we were okay, but we noticed, I'm like, hey, our little cushion, mom. Oh, well, this is our own fault. What were we thinking? Right. Um, and of course, you have to reward your employees and other costs are going to go up. So, you know, we had to say, you know, we have to raise prices a little bit every year to cover that stuff. We learned, we learned not to be afraid of it, that the, the recession hit a lot of people hard. We had client, client, business clients that failed and never, I mean, they just were done and their right. life turned into a disaster. You know, we, we did a similar thing. We didn't raise our prices for a couple three years and then we did a massive price increase to kind of catch up <laughs> yeah you know, once once we kind of started coming out of the recession we did a i don't know what it was it was 15 percent, 20 i remember like that. when you guys we did, did a we did a massive increase because we didn't have a choice we had to keep giving people raises and attracting other talent yeah other, other expenses went up and insurance went up by you know 16 percent, and you know health insurance and vehicle insurance and liability insurance and all those things went up and we finally said well We've been trying to not do this, trying not to do this, and now we have to do it. So if we're going to do it, let's just do it once. Let's not do it, and then you know, let's not do a three percent increase, and then six months we're not doing another three percent increase, and then six months do another three percent increase. We just said let's just do it once, take the take the hits, and and move on. And we did that actually twice. We did that two. So then <laughs> after probably we did, happen at, again. After we did that big <laughs> increase, we didn't do another increase for a few years. Thinking, okay, we'll just you know keep prices as low as we can, as long as we can, and then we did another massive uh, increase and. In, and that's when people were like, come on, stop doing this. <laughs> do the, you know, whatever your increase is a year, do it like everybody else. Stop doing these, you know, yeah. these plateaus. And then you have this massive price increase and you plateau again. Stop, yeah. It, that's, that's, and a client explained that. it to me best once. Um, and he said, you know, Sean, I don't, I understand that you're going to have a fee increase. What's it going to be? Right. Is it going to be the same every year? And that's okay. I said, yes, it is going to be the same every year. We, we learned. And this is the fee increase every year. Right. Okay. And some things we, you know, we can have more flat pricing or, or standard pricing versus others. So more or less on the individual tax side, a little bit more standard pricing. But yeah, I mean, let in disclosing that. And that kind of the other part that I screwed up on and um, was not having a set credit policy with clients. I mean, when the recession hit that hurt, we learned that, you know, we people would pay us over time. And in the olden days, people always paid their bills. That was never a never a thing we never had we never had a ton of accounts receivable right. believe it or not we're like people were really good they paid i didn't have right. any problem the recession hit. it was like holy cow what's going on so besides not raising our fees like idiots we were like we didn't have a policy saying you must do this right. by this time and people so we had to we then put a written credit policy in place and then if you were going to pay us over time that was significant more than 60 days, you need to make pre-arrangements with us and there would be a finance charge. And so having it written and having people understand that and not being afraid to write letters and go, hey, you owe me this or, you know, get a little more aggressive on collections. Not that I like that kind of thing, but I've already paid my overhead and my employees and you got all the work done and you haven't paid me. No bueno. I don't like that. Yeah, this is something else we have in common. Uh, we Again, we did the same thing where we, we, we send a credit to everybody when we started out because we were desperate. We had to. 
And then we started discovering some people just don't pay their bills. And yeah. they, I mean, and, and I remember there's a, a couple of restaurants that um, we had done some work for. And I literally went to their lobby a year to the day after we did the job. And one job was like a thousand bucks. And we needed a thousand bucks. We were young and, and we had a lot of expenses. We were trying to grow and, and we could have used that thousand bucks. And I went to the lobby of this restaurant. It's a big national chain restaurant. And I just stood in the lobby <laughs> and I said, I'm not leaving until I get my thousand dollars. And the, you know, the assistant manager's like, well, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do about it. And I, I started getting louder and louder and less patient and louder. And, uh, it was interesting that, and they started saying, well, you know, we just, we have our procedure. And I'm like, it's been a year. I don't want to hear about your procedure anymore. <laughs> and we did that a few times. And then, um, we started kind of saying, well, this isn't really working for us. And what, what are our policies going to be? And, and we got to a point where we had to decide that we were going to cut off some big customers if they didn't pay their bills. And we struggled with that for, we did we talked about it for months. I mean, two, three months we talked about what are we going to do and what are we going to do if they fire us? And I finally said, who cares if they fire us? They're not paying the bills anyway. Right. And what, what's the benefit of having these people here getting all this quote unquote work that we're doing? If we can't get paid, it doesn't matter. We're, we're losing money if we can't get paid or if we get paid in nine months or something like that. It's not worth it anymore. And when we made the change, we we expected to just get fired left and right. And the truth is, nothing happened. People started paying their bills on time. Yeah. Nobody fired us because of it. There, not, nothing, there was no catastrophic result other than we got paid faster. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, that's nice. It's funny what fear will make us, you know, not do. Yeah. and, and afraid. It's, it's, it's one of those things I think where um, you kind of teach people how to treat you. Yes. And if you teach them it's okay to abuse you and not pay you, then they're not going to pay you. If right. you teach them that... You're not going to put up with that crap, then they'll start paying you. Yeah, That's and, and that how happens works. in my industry too. Sometimes there's clients that will wait a year and then they don't pay me, and then we want me to do their tax return again. And I'm like, you know, um, no, no. <laughs> and it's you know not knowing when when to let a relationship go. I mean, that's right. business or personal. Sometimes you just don't know when the end is is near. And sometimes you have to sit with someone and go, I don't think our relationship is working right, right. now. I don't, I don't seem to be serving you right. And, and they're always astonished. What? What? <laughs> like, Why? You know? And it's being, a, being able to sit down. Those things don't happen often where you have to, you know, uh, let go of a client like that. And But you're right. If, if you can't serve them or they don't want to pay, move on and focus on someone who does want your advice and does want to do business with you right. and, and is, is ethical and, 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 and honors their promise of, I did the work for you. You pay me. And right. That's just the way to be. In and when life. it comes to time to, to fire a client, you just have to, uh, you just kind of have to do it. And hopefully you've, you know, you're doing it for the right reason because they're doing something that you can't keep up with. Maybe it's not your expertise. Maybe they've outgrown you or maybe they're just mean to your employee. I had one yeah. guy yell at my administrative assistant because mm -hmm. he was asking her to give him his W-2. He didn't get a W-2. He was self-employed and he got a 1099 miss form. And my, you know, the admin, she's not a, she's the receptionist. She's like, I don't know, doesn't have a W-2. I've looked everywhere in his right. file. And, you know, I had to call him and go, you're a jerk. Yeah. You can't yell at my employees ever. Yeah. I one time had to call a guy and say, I can't pay people enough to tolerate this kind of behavior. Do you ever talk to my employee like that again? Just call somebody else. If you yeah. if you have to talk to people like that, call somebody else. Don't just yeah. leave us and out I, of it. I tell my staff, if you're on a, a client's office and they're screaming at you, um, that you leave, you come to me and I right. will. That's never happened, but I have to protect my people. So uh, we're already 43 and a half minutes oh in. So let's, God. let's uh, skip up to some tax and accounting tips here. So um, <laughs> that's you so get, exciting. Yeah. 
um, you gave me, you gave me a list of things here, and uh, the first thing you said one for tax and accounting tips was read a book or listen to Brian podcast about running a business. So I I wholly endorse that one. That one I think is the best tip you've <laughs> given idea. so far today. Um, don't spend all your business money at the end of the year to show a loss. Why is that dumb? <laughs> well, that goes back to the bankability thing. Um, because at the end of the day, if you spend all your money because you don't want to give any to the government, um, and you're showing a loss, who's going to borrow, who's going to let you borrow money from then? And then if you don't have any money in your bank account, how do you pay your January rent or your employees or sales tax liabilities? Right. I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And I always find this interesting. I, and I love, I love my clients. I love my people, but they're like, Sean, I got, I have way too much profits this year. What should I buy? I'm like, do you need anything? No, I don't need nothing. I've got plenty of equipment. I, I bought five vans this year. I'm good, but I made too much money. I'm like, okay, Bob, let's just keep the money. Right. Well, I'll have to pay taxes on it. I'm like, you know, you might, but think about this. You have a dollar. You might have to spend 30% of that, 30 cents in taxes, but to keep 70%. Right. So you get to keep the most of it and use it for something that's good and what you need to versus buying a piece of equipment that you don't need. Then that, that, that equipment on the shelf or inventory, people like, well, I should buy inventory at the end of the year. I'm like, why? Right. Don't do that. You need that working capital. It doesn't do anything for you. It's better to keep 70 cents on the dollar then have zero cents if you so spent it. I'll, I'll tell folks, and I'm, I'm guessing you were talking about me when you wrote this part because uh, um, <laughs> I don't think so. What what uh, what we again when we, were, when we first started out, we were we didn't have any money, and you know the last thing we wanted to do at the end of the year was write a big fat check to the IRS, and and our, we were already broke, and and you know this is the first couple three years, and we just did, we just didn't have money. You know we weren't even making what we made. We had jobs, of, you know, by year two, and so <laughs> I had the grand idea that I would. Uh, in December, I would write a whole bunch of checks at the end of the month and prepay rent and prepay insurance and prepay all this stuff. <laughs> and I would um, I would take down our our bank balances to zero. And by prepaying all this stuff, I wouldn't actually mail the checks until January after we got the money in. <laughs> and this way we would minimize our taxable liability for the end of the year. And what I didn't realize was somehow I um, I over estimated or underestimated something and it wasn't until 18 months later when i started talking to a banker about borrowing some money <laughs> and they said um you were overdrawn by forty two thousand dollars in december last year and i was like no i wasn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they said well your tax return said or your, you know, whatever it was that it says you were and and uh that's when i started thinking about sean talking in my ear about i told you not to do that and <laughs> Uh, anyhow, so uh, we're you know we were, we didn't know any better. We just you know we didn't have any money. So the last thing we wanted to do is give a bunch of money to the IRS we didn't already have. And um, sure enough, the banker caught it a year and a half later, and we had to deal with it. And I mean, it, it didn't stop us from getting what we needed, and we we right. moved forward. And I just was honest with him and said, "Well, here's what we did because we were young and poor and stupid. We didn't know any better." And um, he basically said, "Yeah, just just don't do that again." Yeah, <laughs> good <laughs> advice by the banker. Thank you, banker. <laughs> yes, don't do that. So you're in the camp of it's okay to pay income taxes, although you're probably in the minority there. Most folks would say, "Let's not do that." But you, but yeah, I mean, you got a good point. If you're making money, quit quit sniveling and pay your taxes. Right. It's a sign of success, frankly. I mean, there's uber billionaires that pay lawyers and gigantic accounting firms to make all that go away for them. Brian, we're talking to business owners who are are 
or normal. Most small business owners are successful, but they're not mega million. Maybe they'll get that way, but you're going to have to pay something and it's good. It means you're successful. So one of the things you talk about is, is not being cheap and, you know, hiring the right people for the right job. And again, uh, one of our lessons we learned in, in our story is when we first started out, um, I got referred to a bookkeeper by a former coworker for the the company we worked for before we started our, our business. And uh, come to find out, she only knew this thing because she drove by it every day on the way home from work and she saw the sign. That's the only reason. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. I thought she really knew this person. She said, oh, yeah, call this person over here. They're great. They're, they have a great bookkeeping service. And... Um, Way cheaper than a CPA, getting a bookkeeper. Um, meanwhile, what we didn't know is she was giving us terrible advice. Um, you had to fix some things two year, a year later or two years later. She she had switched us from accrual to cash basis back and forth like four consecutive quarters or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that took a little bit. of So in, my point is it ended up costing us more money to fix it after the fact. But this True. is one of those things where people try to get cheap and say, well, I got a friend's cousin's neighbor who does bookkeeping. You know, they do the books on the side and they, right. they're they going to save all this money. And, and this is one of the areas I tell folks, you don't get cheap with accountants. You don't get cheap with lawyers. Right. Hire you, the right. Don't, hire don't, the right ones. Don't do your own legal work. I highly do not recommend that. Right. <laughs> don't write your own operating agreement and hope that that's accurate when you want your shareholder or your partner wants to bail on you. Right. It just doesn't work very right, well. Right, right. So... Uh, I agree with that 100%. Don't be cheap. Uh, hire the right person. Pay pay the 500 bucks an hour for the lawyer. It'll save you, you know, 20 grand. And, you know, pay the whatever per hour for a CPA. I don't know what the going rate is, but pay whatever it costs for the CPA. Um, if you hire the, the neighbor's aunt's cousin's neighbor, you know, to, <laughs> to do your books... And somebody else has to fix it later on. It's just it's gonna cost you ten get times what as much. You pay so, for. Yeah, yeah. Get what this you pay this for. is one of those areas where you get what you pay for for sure. Uh, you also suggest using an accounting system of some kind, which shocked me to read this because I figured everybody had some kind of accounting system. So what do you mean by that? Well, um, believe it or not, Brian, everyone doesn't use an accounting system like QuickBooks. You know, not everybody has a ton of employees, and it doesn't have to be rocket science. Some people use Excel or they handwrite it. Believe it or not, and they could make quite a bit of profits in their business, but they just don't have, they don't have anything sophisticated and that's okay. Now, if you're going to grow and have 50 employees or more, you you have to formalize stuff. But sometimes when people are starting out, even their first few years, if it's just, they're the only worker, they're maybe their corporation, they're the only shareholder, or maybe they're just a sole proprietor. They still have to have some record keeping, but they don't need to spend millions on an accounting system when there are other ways to do it that might make more sense for them financially at the startup. It doesn't mean they won't grow into it, but sometimes it's as simple as, do you know how to use Excel? Let me explain to you how maybe you could do this in Excel and save yourself a little money. You know, we grow them into something different as they expand and get bigger and need that, but you can start out with something super basic that doesn't have to cost you a fortune to to record the money in the bank and money out of the bank. And I always tell people let everything run through one business bank account and let the bank account be your bookkeeper because then it's trapped in one place. So what, what if you're talking to somebody who's been in business for five years or three years or whatever, and they have somebody doing their stuff and what, you know, they have an accounting system of some sort. They understand how to enter invoices. They understand how to pay bills. They understand how to farm out payroll. If they have employees, they understand how to do the DOR, you know, department of revenue, sales tax, all that kind of stuff. But they don't understand how to read a PL. Mm-hmm. How much effort do you recommend folks put into understanding how financial 
planning and reading financial reports actually works. Is that important to people or no? It is important to people, but I've seen it go two ways. I've seen business owners who are good at selling their widgets, but also have learned to read their financials, knowing what cash flow means, knowing that, hey, that P&L, that top number looks super great. Oh, look, $3 million for the year. But if your bottom number keeps getting smaller and smaller, you have an overhead problem. So we have to train people to focus on not always the top line, but the bottom line. What is our overhead? We have to train people to say, what is in your bank account? Who do you owe money to and what do you own? How much money is in the bank? And so getting them to train their focus, it is important, even if the, it's only a rudimentary understanding of the basics. They don't have to be a, an analyst to understand that. And there's a lot of books. There's easy books to read. There's industry. Um, different industries have associations where they teach different things about cash flow. Um, yeah, and, and I'll say I'll just say uh, a book that is super easy and it's like fourteen ninety five. It's called Financial Spreadsheets. It's about accounting, so it's a pretty boring title. Yeah, but it's a really <laughs> but great it's, book. It's a great book, and it starts out take you know take, uh, doing very basic stuff, and you know, and it, but it takes you through all these different things. For our industry, construction service industry, I when people ask me what do I need to pay attention to on the P and I say, of course you got to pay attention to the top line, of course you got to yeah. pay attention to the bottom line, but you really got to focus on the gross margin. Is that universal or is that just our kind of industry? Um, well, it is. It's universal for people where materials or labor is a key component to um, what they do versus you sell something and there's not a lot of parts involved. Or mm-hmm. you just So, yes, it can be. And different industries have different markers for, so for restaurant. So for a restaurant. Restaurants, they have a lot of, have a lot of materials, it's, yeah. which is food. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of labor, the, yep. the servers and right. the cooks and all that stuff. So is gross margin as important to them as it is to a, a contractor? It is. It is because they're also in the food industry. It's waste. Food waste. Too much servings. You know, they have to be very right. careful because all those little bits. So what, what kind lot. of industries are there, if any, that shouldn't pay as much attention to a gross margin? That's a good well, obviously, someone who's a sole proprietor doesn't have a bunch of employees that right. don't have that overhead. So, um, if you're the wedding photographer, you don't have a lot of materials. It's a, it's all your labor. It's your time. And your and time. So you have to decide what's your time worth. And right. So they 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 care about the top line. That's right. Which more or less is the bottom line. Yes. Except for their accounting software, they have to buy and stuff heavy, like that. Yeah. You know, that so stuff, it yeah. really depends on the industry. So when we look at some industries, we we see their top line and we see their materials and labor. And then we actually just really fo- focus on the margin. Right. And are we ordering parts too soon? Can we, are we missing discounts because so, someone's not managing our vendors or accounts payable right. and we're, we're missing opportunities for discounts or we're hiring the wrong person to do the accounting and they're just late on things and they're, you're paying. So for sole proprietors, not, not so much, but for anybody else, pretty much the gross mm-hmm. margin is what you got to work on. Yes. That's where the, that's where your key is. Right. And for our industry, if you're below 40%, you're in trouble. Uh, is that number kind of universal also? No, it's not. That number's not. So for restaurants, it could be what? You know, that is not my very good, it's not an area that I deal with very often. Okay. So, so uh, an auto mechanic shop. Uh, generally on auto repair shops, we're looking at a, you know, 45 to 50, um, gross margin as a minimum. Percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If so we're in close. the, you know, mid forties, um, we're, I'm, I'm happy with that. That's okay. Depends on, then we look at, well, what's the overhead is our rent higher than the guy down the street shop. Right. You know, so those other things matter. So, so are, would it be fair to say the service industries in general, where you have materials and labor 
they should all be no less than 40 percent yeah something like that yeah okay. different industries you're shooting have for different. 60 but if you got yeah. 40 you're happy yeah retail could be a little bit different depending on volume what they're selling like a traditional retail store or whatever they're selling um would it be, need be to be higher different. or lower well, it sort of, de- <laughs> well, that depends. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> oh, I forgot to get my, my buzzer out. Every time she said it depends, I was going to shock her. I said it one time, yeah. and I, I was making sure I wouldn't say that, because you know, you'll call and go, I have a tax question for you, blah, blah, blah. What's the answer? Well, it depends. And yeah. I can't say that every time. Yeah. I guess I can, Brian. Bankers, lawyers, and CPAs. I swear it it's the default answer. <laughs> what, what What's X times Y? Well, it depends. It's never a one-size-fits-all. Okay. okay, so I don't, I don't want to bore folks too much with gross margin talk, but uh, anyhow, for folks who are listening who don't understand how to read financials at least my advice is at least figure that part out yeah everything else falls in the line more or less if you can figure out your margin um you also mentioned don't try to cheat the government uh and i again when it comes to this i remind folks um a very famous gangster couldn't be caught by anybody except for the irs and went to prison Yeah. yeah and i think my comment there is really you know it's not so much the IRS if you do bad things like you don't pay your payroll taxes. That's a, those are horrible. That's a trust fund. You know, our this lovely state that we're in is quite aggressive in our state agencies with um, Department of Revenue. If you're collecting sales tax, you don't remit it. If you're not reporting your labor and industry hours correctly or things like that, those agencies. This is where we see the most cheating and like in Washington State businesses are like, well, I didn't want to pay sales tax on that, or I just did it on the table and. You know, you have to turn those trust fund dollars over. You can't say, well, I don't want to do that or say, I'm not going to pay that because somebody's somebody's going to figure it out. Either the entity, the, organ, the state agency will audit you. Maybe the IRS will, although the, the percentage of IRS audits is really low. But don't let that, don't don't do let bad that things, be a license people. to steal. Yeah, don't be bad because <laughs> um, they could get more budget money from Congress and then they'll go after yeah, us. Yeah. All. But they have, they have digital stuff. They can check you. But, you know, you make a vendor, a customer unhappy and they'll go like a complaint or, or a disgruntled employee. Boy, they take anonymous tips at the Department of Revenue, L&I, Employment Security, all those agencies. And they got more employees and than time to go and audit Unlimited people. time and they unlimited do. budgets. That, yes, they seem to have unlimited budgets on yeah. audits. So, and, and they have a job to do. I get that. So don't cheat the government. That's kind of those state rules. Know what the law, know what your industry standards are. You know, know what the rules that apply to you, what you can and can't do. Right. Don't, don't tell... Don't tell your insurance agent you're only doing window washing when, in fact, you're doing all kinds of other things because that's not cheating the government. But that's like, do what you say you're going to do right. and don't do that because it can cause problems. So your CPA is telling you to be honest. Got it. Well, I'd like you to be Yeah. Um, uh, and one of the other things you mentioned, uh, one of the last things is uh, learn to reserve profits for later use, a.k.a. don't blow all your money. <laughs> and Brian, this at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I only did it like three years and then I stopped doing it and I haven't done it in a long time. And I, I learned and I stopped. Um, uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, one of, this is one of the things I, I see um, when people talk about how 80% of businesses fail the first two years or five years, whatever that stat is. Um, this is one of those things I think that leads to that is people, when they start having success, they start making money. They figured out how to pay their employees. They figured out how to buy their materials. They figured out their inventory. They figured out how to get insurance. They, they kind of started piecing a lot of this together. And they're about 60% of the way there, in my opinion. And they start seeing all this money hit the hit the accounts. And they go bananas. And they just go hog wild on buying stuff. And I'm always like, you're not there yet. You got to you gotta wait. You got to put that money aside. You never know what's going to happen. Right. And, oh, by the way, do you have... 
insurance for your buy sell agreement? And do you have the? And they're like, huh? <laughs> right. And I'm like, you're just not quite there. And I see this in, 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 I've seen this numerous times, especially in my industry and similar ones, service related industries. A guy and his wife started a company. They buy a second truck. They have an employee, maybe two, maybe three, four. And all of a sudden they're on vacation once a month and they're, they buy an RV or they buy a right whatever. And they're just, they're like MIA and they're taking flying lessons and they're, mm -hmm. it's, and I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? You're not there yet, man. Right. What you don't see probably in their books is the amount of debt that they're bringing on and they're outliving their life. Their lifestyle is bigger than their revenue that they're making. And, and this is, this is key. If, if, if you can learn to say, I can't spend all of that, it's there, but I need to save it because what if there's a downturn? What if I have a heavy payroll load and I might, I, people owe me money and I'm 90 days out on getting paid on the government job I did. Right. Stuff happens like that. So learning to reserve that to say, oh, I need to set that aside, get it out of my operating bank account and put it aside to say, I just going to move it away, set it and forget it and only spend the money that's over here, you can do that very easily, but it is tough to train people. And I've sat in front of people said, if you don't do this, you're out of business in two years. I've seen people fail. I've seen people's businesses crash because they didn't have working capital reserved and they their lifestyle was detrimental to right. the business. And it's right. not a pretty sight. And you know, I'm not a psychology major, but I swear I should have taken some of that stuff in college because it's a people game and in people's heads, people are funny when it comes to money. Yeah. So, uh, listen, we're at, we're at an hour here and I want to wrap this up. I'm going to ask you three okay. quick questions I haven't prepped you for. All right. Um, we talked about, uh, well, let me just, what's, what's the number one thing you would tell an entrepreneur to commit their energy on, uh, whether they're six months in, six years in, 15 years in, what's the number one thing you would say, focus on this? Not, not from a tax perspective, just in general. In general. Oh, and your answer can't be more sell, than 30 seconds. Sell what, sell what you're good at. Good. Stay yeah, like focused that. on where you your margins are best okay we'll go back to margins if right. you do x and it gives you the highest margin do a lot of that right when you're safe and you have some reserve built up you can span to do other things too quick of expansions is the problem don't do too much focus on what you do really well at Got first it. uh and again i didn't preface it by saying you have 15 to 30 seconds to answer these questions okay, I'll be quick. uh number two why do you think 80 percent of all businesses fail in the first two years because i don't watch brian's podcast <laughs> Um, perfect. Really, yes, I love that. <laughs> um, That's perfect. They're not managing their cash flow. Just, it's cash or flow. They're not pricing right, or they have too many employees too soon, too many, too much overhead. They, some people are ready to hire an employee, and they're not ready yet, but they think they are, and they don't price themselves right. And how? How? It, and the last one is again quickly. How would you tell somebody that they've kind of they've hit the benchmark for success, and they can start kind of shifting gears into living that life versus the, what we were talking about a few minutes ago where people are just blowing money 18 months in. Hmm, how do I tell that? Oh. I say, yeah, you're doing great. Let's plan for retirement. Let's not spend all that money now, right. but let's do some mad money. But if we've done all those things, I'm like, take what, what do you want to budget for fun and budget it? But we're still not going to go away and forget all those, that succession planning, that retirement planning we have to do, but it's like, enjoy. But you know, I'm sorry that motorhome is not a business deduction. I mean, so we'll have to conversations like that and what is and isn't a business right. deduction, but you know, I'll tell people take a vacation. You deserve it. This is great. Look what, maybe it's time to sell the business. You're doing so great. So we congratulate them in the back of my head, I'm like, we still have to save. We never know what's going to happen. Right. You know, I'm a worrier. Got it. So it, so 
spend some of the money, but bank most of it, or at least half of it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, hey, uh, thanks again for coming on, Sean. I really appreciate it. Um, and I knew this was going to be a longer one because taxes are just not a simple thing. And uh, uh, thank you all for bearing with me. My first time doing this uh, engineering part of this thing on my own. Hopefully I didn't screw it up too bad. Hopefully the echo wasn't too bad. Um, next week we're going to have on Tony Roberts from the Tacoma Stars. And he's going to talk about his career in sports and entertainment. He's got a lot of cool stories to talk about there. And believe it or not, sports franchises are really just small businesses, just like all the rest of us. So uh, that's it for today. Thanks a lot for everything. And I'll talk to you all thank next you, week. Brian.